Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry. We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth. What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates? How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients? What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry, and what are companies doing about it? So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered. And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Welcome to the second episode of the IPHO podcast. If you didn't catch the first episode, you missed a great conversation with Jim Alexander, the executive director and founder of IPHO. When you're done listening to this episode, take a listen to the first one to hear about Jim's career, how it led him to create a professional organization, and what the future looks like for IPHO. And to start with some great news, even after grilling him for an hour. And and we compared him to Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, we still haven't been canceled. Well, at least not yet, but who knows, maybe it's coming shortly. But before that happens, coming up, we have James Rawls on the show. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So that everyone knows, on a side note here, the show is a work in progress, so you may hear things change a bit over time as we hopefully get better at this. That's right. The other thing we should make clear is that while both of us have day jobs at a large pharmaceutical company, the views and opinions we express on this show are our own. And thank goodness for that. Yeah, that would be a good way to end a promising career. All right, all right. No one wants to hear us anymore. Let's go ahead and bring James Rawls on before people start tapping fast forward as fast as they can. Well, today we're chatting with James Rawls. I'll tell you right now that I'm particularly excited for this conversation because I've gone the way of medical affairs, but I've always wondered about the path of a pharmacist in regulatory affairs. And James Rawls is Vice President and Head of Global Regulatory Affairs and has been with Synovian for 12 years now. He earned his PharmD at the University of Michigan and then went on to complete a postdoctoral fellowship in clinical research in drug regulatory affairs at Rutgers University and Novartis Pharmaceuticals, a fellow Rutgers uh, PharmD alumni here. He has held a number of senior leadership roles at Synovian within regulatory affairs. And now most recently, he also leads Synovian's Diversity and Inclusion Council an important position that will help define the company's future. So let's give a big welcome here to James. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be here, gentlemen. Thank you. First off, let's start. We covered your background in 10 seconds. So if you can just just work with us here to give our, our listeners a better understanding of, of your background, your current position, just a, a little bit about who you are. Well, I, I think you did a great job in 10 seconds. You hit all the major highlights. The only other thing where uh, I live in West Orange, New Jersey, I've uh, married uh, for actually 25 years now, almost um, three kids. Uh, so um, uh, really enjoying this, this point in, in, in my life. Uh, but you, you hit all the, the major, you know, um, uh, topics related to where I graduated, my fellowship program. Uh, but but maybe a little bit more to fill out, you know, how I got to where I'm at at Synovian. Um, so after Novartis, which is you know you all know is a major pharma company, and actually I joined Novartis when it was Sandoz, and uh, when I was accepted into the fellowship program, 
Um, I think it was, I guess that was around February, I think the match, matching happened. And by, I think, April, it was announced that Sandoz was formed, you know, merging with Siva Geigy. I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, I right at the beginning. Look at that. I'm like, oh, I'm out of a fellowship program. It just said started. But um, I was reassured by the great uh, Dr. Barone that everything was fine. And, and I could, uh, uh, you know, expect to, get, to complete the fellowship and, and, and move forward as, as planned. So I joined Novartis when it was merging. And, and at the time, it was actually was the largest pharma company in the world for about two, three years. Uh, but what happened there um, that was great for me was there was this major void. There's all these new programs and there was a lot of turnover. A lot of people didn't want to be involved with certain projects. Um, and that opened the, the door up, up for me in my second year of the fellowship program when I went into regulatory affairs. Uh, there was this compound, uh, rufinamide actually, it's on the market now. Uh, by the time it, it, it was in development, and they said, "Hey, we need to have an end of phase two meeting for this product." And they're like, and they all looked around and they're like, "No, no, nobody's gonna do it." And I said, "Hey, I'll, I'll try it." And I had no I, first of all, I didn't know end of phase two meant, so I had to go look up the reg what what that even meant. Uh, but you know, it, it it was a challenge, and I think you grow most when you're challenged, and and and, and that definitely uh, was true for me in that experience. Um, I have to tell you, I was terrified. I'm going into a meeting, never been to an FDA meeting before. My first meeting, this is when we were using film for slides and putting them on this, you know, this projector. I had to make sure all that was right. But just that experience, getting the team ready for that meeting, um, having to be involved with so many different uh, uh, departments uh, to prepare clinical, you know, uh, even some of the commercial firms, the the folks from uh, the chemistry division, non-clinical. Um, it, it, it was a great experience. I realized right then and there, that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be at those FDA meetings. And I knew that being in clinical would take a long time for me to get to a point where I was sitting at the table. I'd always be behind the scenes supporting the uh, medical leader. Uh, but if I was in regulatory, as a fellow, I was already at the table. So I knew just a few more years of experience, I would be able to be there. So. Uh, that, 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 at that point in time, I knew I wanted to be a regulatory and really dedicated then the rest of my career trying to become a better regulatory professional. Uh, after the fellowship was over, though, there wasn't a position for me, even with all that turmoil. Uh, there wasn't a position in regulatory. They said, hey, um, well, actually it was. But they said, if you want, want the position, it's in Switzerland. And at that time, my wife was like, no, we're not going yeah. to do this. <laughs> I said, well, I'll, I'll stay here. And they said, but there is a position in clinical. And I said, well, you know what? I know clinical because I've been there one, for one year uh, during the fellowship program that that would help me be a better regulatory professional. And, and sure enough, I spent three more years in clinical there and really did everything from A to Z uh, in terms of starting a study, managing a study, writing up the study report, uh, even getting ready for an NDA on that side. That just made me so much uh, a much better regulatory professional. Uh, so uh, through those experiences, you know, I, it just all came together for me, um, and uh, and and I realized I wanted to be in that profession. And I stayed at at, at Novartis for you know, you know I was it was about uh, twelve years. And I tell you, you're always going to hit that about ten to twelve year point in your career where you're at a fork in your road in the road, and you had to decide, okay. Am I going to stay at this company, you know, another, you know, whatever, probably the rest of my career, <laughs> and or is it time to move on? And and you and you have to think long and hard that when you reach that 
fork in the road and I realized, you know, I, I don't think I want to stay in Novartis. And they're always going to kind of see me as a fellow who kind of grew up in the organization. That's probably going to limit me a little bit. So let, let's move on to a smaller company where I can wear more hats, um, you know, pull together all my, you really leverage my experience, but at the same time be challenged. But I didn't want to go to a, like a VC backed company, right? I didn't want to go to a company that wasn't stable financially. Too small. Yeah. Too small, too small. And I, I, I'm not, if I go to um, uh, play blackjack and I win $20, I'm done. Let's go. Time to go I, don't, I don't need to double down. I'm done. So I'm not a huge risk taker. I know myself. So I didn't want to be in a situation where my paycheck was based on some stock price. So uh, with, with that, I came upon this opportunity at a small company starting up, want to have a global presence. But um, I found that it was a Japanese-based company. It was called Dainippon Sumitomo Pharma America. And Sumitomo, just to put it uh, in, in, in terms to understand, is basically like a, a GE of Japan, but 10 times larger. So it's a conglomerate. And they were just starting this, this, this global pharma company in America and needed somebody to head up regulatory affairs. Uh, long story short, I, that was 12 years ago. So I've um, been very happy. It was very stable. I didn't worry about uh, the company folding up and, uh, and, and, and have had a great experience uh, uh, at, at the company so far. I've been involved in so many things. So James, you hit on a few key themes here that I think are, are relevant and tangible for a lot of, a lot of people as their, their careers are developing. So the first one would be with uncertainty comes opportunity. Mm. And, and it sounds like you you say you're not a risk taker, but you raised your hand for that phase two and end of phase two meeting and said, I'm here because it was a risk, but there was also opportunity. And it's it's something that that happened to me as well with that uncertainty came opportunity. And you don't know what you have and you don't know who you are until you jump at it and put yourself in the spotlight sometimes. And there's there's pressure with it. But you know, as as you as you talk about your you know, you're the head of regulatory affairs now and and you're developing professionals what's what's something that you work with professionals you know aspiring young professionals on from a skill set standpoint to help them grow and develop in times of uncertainty like today where we have graduating pharmacy students and graduating fellows who who are uncertain with covid with you know different changes that may be occurring what's something that you you might want to talk to them about or you might say to them to help guide them through their journey yeah, you know, first, you know, I, I really sympathize with them because they're, they're an unprecedented and uncharted territory. I, I can't imagine trying to complete clinical rotations virtually. I, I, I don't know what that experience would be like. I don't know how you really get a, 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 a true experience and understanding of, of the, the profession or your, your, your clinical rotation in, in, in such a setting. So, they're going through so many challenges right now, and I'm sure they're going to grow from the. They should look at it as an opportunity to grow. How, how, you know, what can I learn from this experience? Uh, how can I take full advantage of it? Uh, things will be much different. The world will be much different when when they finish up. Um, but that is one thing I always did think about. We when I started in the fellowship program was okay. They they asked me to. The first one of my first assignments in the fellowship program when I was there, where they said, "Okay, James, I need you to file." This is when there was just none, but 
you know, file cabinet. So they said, oh, can you file these uh, uh, case report forms for each each subject uh, by site? First of all, I didn't even know what a, a case report form was. So I said, well, let me find out what that even means. And plus they were using the word CRF because all these acronyms are being thrown around. I was like, I am lost. But, you know, again, yeah, it was a challenge. It was it was scary. But then I said, I'm going to read each one of these CRFs just to, so I understand what is going on. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I, I approach many things that way and, and try to be a sponge. I do. I think you never stop learning. Um, uh, yeah, the, the world constantly changes. And, I, you know, I would was in my fellowship program. I would see individuals I was, you know, I was working with who'd been in the industry for for a number of years, and I remember, you know, again, just looking back, it, it looks it feels so strange, but Microsoft Word was just coming out in in the industry. This is 1996, if you can believe it or not, uh, and we had a whole department of just people who knew how to use Microsoft Word. The other people in, in the department didn't know. They said, oh, and, but but you know, I was coming out of. Uh, university setting where we were using it all the time so i was like well, wait I, I never want to be in a situation where i'm not uh, utilizing these utilizing technology or, or you feel behind yeah, yeah falling behind so but it is scary it, it, it is challenging for me now there's all these things that are going on with social media and um a podcast and everything else that <laughs> different from from what i'm used to so I'm challenging myself to to explore those those new technologies. So when I'm in a meeting, we need to talk about this. But you know, one of my roles within regulatory affairs, which I enjoy probably the most, is developing material uh, for for patients. Well, I'm now more involved in, in 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 teaching people how to review it from a regulatory perspective. But we review all the promotional material within our department. So when you see those commercials, when you see that um, banner ad on, you know, when you're popping up your email, those things all go through a regulatory review process. There are space and character limitations associated with those, but the regulations don't change. Regulations still say that that piece has to have so much safety information as well as your, your claims and efficacy information. You have to make that all balanced, fairly balanced. Um, but if you don't understand the technical limitations, if you don't, if you're going to a meeting and they're talking about Twitter or TikTok or or whatever social media platform you're not aware of, you're you're, you're not going to be very valuable. You're not going to understand the challenges that uh, 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 that we have to face, or or why that media opportunity or social media is a great platform for us to utilize. So I'm constantly trying to keep myself um, up to date. Um, you know, to, to your to your point, you, you're always going to be challenged. You know, look at it as an opportunity to learn from the situation. Um, and, and, and it's not just you, right? Yeah. I mean, because now you're you're leading a team. You know, because I like the, the importance of continuous learning. You know, it, it comes up so often. But when you move into a real senior leadership position like that, what are the things that you see now from your vantage point as? skills and attributes that separate high performing regulatory professionals from the rest of the group? You know, what, what are those things that stand out? You know, you, you hit on a couple very good points. Uh, one, um, a, as a leader, and I take that, that role very seriously, you know, being a, a leader, my, my title is vice president, global head of regulatory affairs. It, it, it's a, it's a, 
a, a point in my career or a level within in, in my career that I, I always aspired to. And along the way, I would constantly um, look at other leaders within, you know, the organizations uh, that I worked in. Uh, and I looked at the ones I considered to be very good leaders. I also looked at the ones I considered not to be so good leaders. And I took something from each one of them, you know, the ones who I thought were excellent. I said, okay, I, 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 I want to strive to act in that way, interact with individuals in, in, the, in that manner. And then, and then in the opposite, I'm not going to be somebody who's going to berate somebody in front of a meeting just to get the job done and, and use scare tactics to, to motivate people. Um, uh, so it, it, it's a, it's a very big, you know, responsibility, but, you know, one of the things that also you, you, you touched on in, in terms of, you know, backgrounds of pharmacists and, and when, what makes you, makes us, 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 I think, successful in a career within regulatory affairs is first the, the versatility that we have when it comes to moving from one therapeutic area to the next. I think, you know, because we're not a master of one therapeutic area, you know, we're, we're, we, we are by design required to be familiar with different therapeutic areas, different medicines, um, uh, th that bodes very well if you want to move from one, you know, uh, drug to, to another drug in a different therapeutic area. And, and for regulatory professionals who aren't scared to move from one therapeutic area to, the, to, to another are, are, are well-equipped and um, are better off. It, you know, the regulations aren't different. It's really, um, you know, the, 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 those are the same. Uh, the regulations are the same for drug, regardless of the therapeutic area, the same levers can be pulled. Um, so you just had to figure out, <clears throat> you know, how design, the studies are designed, which are really different from, from one therapeutic area to the next. And you can, you, you can read and become familiar with, with medical, you know, regulatory precedents to, to become familiar with that. Um, another one of the, the critical skill sets uh, that I didn't appreciate enough is as pharmacists, we were often, you know, um, had to, to make uh, uh, clinical assessments and, 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 and summarize a lot of detailed clinical information to um, uh, uh, different audiences, you know, uh, patients, caregivers, healthcare, you know, providers, you know, uh, specialists in the field. Uh, that, that is a skill set that bodes very well because typically you're leading a, a meeting with a, a health authority and when you're leading a meeting, you have to distill all this information that's coming at you and the points that are being made and crystallize it into a, 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 a key point if you want to be successful in a, a negotiation. Uh, you have to weed through all the extraneous things that are going on, crystallize the point, um, and, and, and get to a point where you, you, you can find some common ground with a health authority uh, that's mutually beneficial for, for, for your, your company. Uh, in beneficial for it meets the needs of the, the health authority and uh, at the same time then you know you, you hope it also becomes a medicine that meets the needs of, of, of patients um, so those, you know that's a, that's that's something that I think as pharmacists we're well um, equipped to do and, and, and uh, uh, you know bodes very well for, for, for professionals in regulatory affairs. So one of the big changes, obviously, that's been occurring this year, in addition to the COVID pandemic, is everything that's been going on with social justice and, and racial equality. And I'm just wondering, from your vantage point, having started your career, you know, years ago, 
um, how have things changed? I mean, I think one of the things we take for granted is those of us who are coming out of school over the last five to 10 years is that things could have been considerably different 15, 20, 25 years ago. So how were things when you started out and how do you see the environment now? That That's a great question and, and a very timely and very appropriate one. And again, if I, if I look back, um, you know, when, when I joined, I, I, I was the first black fellow at Novartis. Um, and that was again, 1996. Uh, uh, then I was the second one in the Rutgers program. Uh, I don't know how many <laughs> now, and now I've been involved in the program. Hundreds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, we made some, some great, great strides, but that was just 25 years ago. I was the first, I mean, the program really wasn't that, that, that old at the time, but uh, it's not know, that long ago. It's not that long ago. And, but I always, I, I felt that I was carrying a burden. I had to, you know, um, uh, be, be a high performer, set a standard um, um, if I wanted others to, 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 to follow. And, and I, I think I was, you know, fortunately that that did occur. Um, but at the same time, I, I would say not, not a lot has changed if you, look across, you know, the pharma boardrooms and industry in general, there are not a lot of people that look like me. Um, that, that, that's just the truth of the matter. And it is for multiple reasons. Um, but now that I'm in my position at, at Synovian as, as head of regulatory affairs and chair of our diversity inclusion council, um, also combined with it's my role here at IPHO, you know, as an advisory board member, I want to really help find solutions and make some meaningful changes uh, that are really within my control and within my sphere of influence to address what you know, we all have to admit are some long-standing issues of, of systemic racism and, and social inequities, um, including um, you know a focus on ensuring that that students have access to to opportunities to advance you know, their careers um, in, in, in the life sciences and within the pharmaceutical industry in particular. And, and that's, those, those two words, opportunity access are, are really critical to me. And that's what it's really about for, for anyone. We only want to strive for equal. Nobody wants special advantages. Um, or we just want equal opportunity and access for all. Then let Every if we're, on, we're operating from that 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 level playing field, you know the best will rise to the top, and and that that's all we we always want, uh, you know, for for any um, society organization. So, and some know, of it's internal. I mean, some of this is an internal question, and some of it's an external question. What can we be doing within our companies? But what can our companies be doing in our communities? Well said. I totally agree with you, Sergio. And and so at Sonovia, you know, we, we're we're forming internally uh, uh, this 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 diversity inclusion is just getting stood up, you know. So we're we're in the midst of this, uh, trying to pull this together. And what we create are like what we call these business impact groups. So these smaller subcommittees, this council, broader council, and these smaller kind of uh, 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 impact resource groups. Uh, and there's going to be three that we're going to stand up right away. You know, ones uh, for women, ones for uh, race and ethnicity, and others for working parents and caregivers, and eventually we'll do an LGBTQ one as well. 
but the, you know those 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 uh, groups and the council really support our overall goals and initiatives. So we'll be pulling together some internal uh, programs, uh, but then we we do have uh, you know a, a goal of of effecting some change ex externally. Um, we haven't mapped everything out yet. Uh, we're in the midst of pulling that together, but I'm really excited about it. I and mean, it's one of the being named the chair of that council was one of the proudest moments of, of my career. And I, I really look forward. And, and it goes back to, I never, you know, there are chief diversity inclusion officers out there. You know, people have done this work for years. I'm, I'm not in HR. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, a scholar in this area. Uh, you know, so I, it's going to be a challenge trying to stand this up, um, but I'm looking forward to it. And I, it's like raising your hand for that end of phase two meeting. Yeah, right? you, know, you know, there's a need and you're going to step in and address that need. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I didn't want to back away from it. Um, I, I was honored that they asked me to chair the council. I, I'm, I'm all, I've already met a group of people that I would have never met otherwise within the company. Um, through, through, through our, our initial meeting. So already there's a benefit and, and there's just so much enthusiasm within the organization right now. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a daunting task, but one I, I truly welcome, look forward to. Um, but definitely companies should take on the responsibility of, of not only thinking about internal things, but what they can do externally. And one of the things you mentioned was, you know, you had the challenge of not having a background in HR. You're not a chief diversity and inclusion officer, right? And I think a, a lot of folks who, you know, as they get promoted into positions of increasing responsibility, they may feel the same exact way. Like, And what advice would you have for them, you know, who people who want to do good, who want to affect positive change, but maybe they feel like they, they don't speak the, the language there, the HR language, the diversity and inclusion language. Are there things that helped you become more proficient as you stepped into that role? Well, I guess time will tell. I'm just getting started. Right? <laughs> we're we're going to see how you can ask me that in a year, and I can give you a grade. Um, but but you know, I think. Well, I know that the people I'm working with, we all want to do good. Yeah, we're in it for, I believe, the right reasons. We probably will stumble along the way. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to use a lot of the same sort of leadership skills that I've, I've applied to the regulatory affairs role and trying to, you know, making sure that we come up with some concrete goals and objectives, um, some, some quick wins, um, uh, you know, we communicate, uh, we have an open and honest forum where we, you know, collaborate and, and, and um, uh, you know, assess and discuss ideas. So, I think with those core principles, with the energy, with the passion that I've seen, we're we're going to we're going to do some good. I, I, it's hard to say what, what a person would do if you didn't have that support from the top down. If you were at a company and and you're the lone wolf there trying to speak up and move things forward, no matter what your position is, you know, unless you're the CEO or or, or a member of the the, the C-suite, that's very difficult. And at that time, you 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 have to have a conversation with yourself about well, if it, if this means so much to me, and and I and I and I think I want to do more, then you need to think about a new another place to go. And and hey, Sonovian would welcome you. I mean, that, that's well, the kind of it's a competitive advantage, right? I mean, that's why 
you know, right. if, if I'm a, an up and comer and I'm considering where I want to spend the next five, 10, 15 years of my career, you know, I, these are the things that matter. I, I really think that's a, a shift, you know, from, from 25 years of diversity and inclusion. That <laughs> was never even discussed 25 years ago. Chief diversity and inclusion, not even, it didn't exist. So what in your mind, as you're picturing this, what does good look like? Like you said, 25 years ago, it didn't exist. Now you've been tagged and, and you, this isn't your background, but you have passion, you care. And you're, you're, you're saying that you have people around who are passionate and care, but what, do, what does good look like for you in the kind of the near term? And what does good look like in the longer term? I don't want to get too far ahead, you know, because I, we're, we're thinking about that now, right? We, we, we are having those discussions, trying to lay out a few things, but I'll, I'll, I'll put some high level uh, pillars out there. Again, it comes back to the, to the words I use that I, I could truly say that, you know, opportunity and access, um, uh, fair and equal opportunity access exists within our, our organization. And we're helping create that externally as well. Now, that's not to say that I don't, for, first of all, I think we, we do a great job at Sonobi when it comes to that. But could we be doing better? Sure. If you don't think, if you constantly are you sat, if you're satisfied with where you're at, you will never improve. So you, you can't be be satisfied. Um, and we definitely could be doing more externally, which which I'm, I'm sure we will do. Um, uh, so we're we're coming up with what that what good looks like, how we will measure our our, our success. But also, no, I don't think we can do it alone as Synovian. There's some big initiatives and things that that will require pharma companies to work together. If you think about one big thing that's been out there and talked about is uh, diversity in clinical trials, right? You didn't really hear much about that until just recently with this pandemic. Oh, you know, there was talk about, we don't have, we won't have an, a, a broad representative group of, of, of Americans. <laughs> really? Like, like you're just figuring like, like that's the case. That's not news, right? <laughs> that's not news, but, but now all of a sudden it's a big topic. Uh, and, and I'm glad it's, it's being brought up. But now it's like, there's just great momentum at pharma at FDA. Believe me at FDA, I, I, <laughs> we've had some recent interactions where they're, they're really concerned about this. So um, it, it, it is definitely something that's going to change and should be addressed. Um, so, you know, again, that's, that, that's, that's one of the things I think good will look like. And, and you're saying that at FDA right now, there's conversations about representation from different, you know, different ethnicities, but in your experience in other parts of the world, how is, how has that worked? Cause I can tell you in my experience in other countries, for example, in Japan, there's, there's a certain number of patients within clinical trials. You can't just have a study in the U S in, in oh, right. 90% Caucasian and, and bring it over to Japan and say, this is, this applies to the Japanese population too. So in your experience, how, how is, how have you experienced that in other countries as well? Right. And you can't just go to Japan and have a study in, in hundred percent of Japanese patients and then go to China and say, Hey, how about this? They're going to be like, yeah, uh, where's the Chinese patients at? Which, which is strange because then if you think about it, you, you extrapolate that to the U.S. and we say, okay, you know, yes, we are all Americans, but how diverse was that American patient population that was being recruited, that U.S. patient population that was being recruited? How representative was it of, of the U.S. Uh, of, of patients, you know, overall? Um, so, yeah, you know, you, 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 there's this requirement um, 
uh, you know, to, to make sure that you identify an appropriate patient population for, for nearly every country that, that, that we work in. And we go to, 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 to Europe. Uh, uh, there's also requirements for having, you know, a, a fair representative Western European <laughs> sites, you know, and, and, and countries as part of it. So this is something I think is going to continue to be discussed and evolved. And I think some great works on the things that have come out of it. Well, and it also goes back to the the work and the added value of a good regulatory strategist, right? Because as you're thinking through a development program for a product, you know, how many studies do we need? You know, what are the patient populations in each of these studies? How can we do this most efficiently um, for our company? We, we don't have unlimited money to invest in, you know, 50 phase three clinical trials. So, um, you know, how does a good regulatory strategist provide these insights to the team? Yeah, you're, you're, you're hitting some key points. Um, and one of the things also that, that goes back to some initial points I made about continually learning and, and continuing to have a passion to learn is that the, the, the landscape changes, okay? The way you developed a, a, a product for uh, schizophrenia, you know, uh, 25 years ago, it looks a lot different than, 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 than now. I mean, it, uh, you know, it, 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 you have to, as a regulatory professional, provide some insight to the organization about uh, what some of those changes uh, uh, are, are most impactful. Um, how do we develop, a, as you mentioned, a global strategy, not only a global strategy for adults, but also a global strategy for the pediatric patient population. Um, uh, and, and then when you're developing the global strategy, that means, okay, what makes sense in terms of what countries should we move forward with first? Should we try to take advantage of some of the accelerated approval programs in Japan first, or maybe the ones in the U.S.? Well, maybe Europe. <laughs> and you, you help lay things out. But at the end of the day, too, a lot, many of those decisions are financial-based decisions. So then you get with your marketing group, and and um, you know one of the things that uh, you know I had to start learning about too was some of the commercial lingo. I, I'm very familiar with it now, but when I first heard the term um, MPV, I was like, "What? What is an MPV?" You know, <laughs> no, 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 no idea what that meant and why it was even important. And they kept they didn't have that in pharmacy school. No. <laughs> Well, and, and for, for those who are listening, let's let's NPV net present value is what I'm assuming. Net, you're net, net to, present right? value, yeah, okay. yes. Basically, the value of your if you're compound, if you think about how much you will spend for the product and 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 how much you you will have in terms of revenues and the net of that, right? Risk adjusted over time. Risk, risk adjusted. Risk adjusted. Right? right. There's all that. <laughs> the nuances. Right. Understanding how that 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 is calculated. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, it, that's the fun thing about regulatory, right? Because then I have to interact with you know, all these ind individuals. We have to come up with this, this, this strategy. Then we have to think about, okay, what's in the label? Uh, what will drive our promotional material? Uh, how can we come up with a global label? Are we just going to focus on the U.S.? So these, all these things that, again, you, you have to uh, constantly stay informed about, which is not easy because the landscape changes, <laughs> but the, the, the challenge is, is one that I, I, I truly do welcome. 
what do you think? A, bu- a bunch of pharmacists here talking about net present value as if this is our <laughs> our bread and butter. But it, it's it goes it goes to show the experiences you you under you take in as you go through your career and then the learning to into your point. We're constantly learning, and I think that's the value there. And one of the one of the learnings here for me is that diverse experience you receive in regulatory mm-hmm. and. And how, how do you think having that background in sciences has rooted you for success in regulatory? Um, I think in particular, uh, having the background as a pharmacist. Uh, and in particular, I did some moonlighting, you know, during the fellowship program because I, I was rather broke. You and me uh, both, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the fellowship was not really helping me, you know, uh, the ends meet. So I had to pick up some extra work in, you know, at a, at a hospital. Then I also worked at a uh, retail setting. But um, it, I, it be, be being familiar with the package insert, understanding how it's utilized, understanding also uh, how prescriptions are processed at the pharmacy level, uh, you know, at retail pharmacy level. Um, really helped me. Um, and I still, you know, rely on that and, and I can have an understanding of when we're talking about, you know, uh, third party payers and, and the importance of that and, you know, where it's at on the formulary, you know, it, 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 things that you would never think would be relevant. But then when you're sitting in those meetings and people are talking about those things, um, you realize, oh man, that, that, that experience is really helping me understand the conversation and contribute um, um, to the dialogue. So, um, I, again, I would have never thought, and again, I was just working because I needed the money. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a great opportunity. I really do. That's why I think if you, if you have the opportunity to have these diverse experiences for whatever reason that they come about, or if it's out of necessity or just pure, just trying to pick up different experiences, take on those challenges. The, the event, I, there hasn't been an opportunity or experience that hasn't been valuable for me um, over my career. Um, and I, I think back now to, you know, when I was doing my fellowship, probably when you were doing your fellowship as well, but resources like IPHO, they just didn't exist back then. And so the, the resources that students and fellows have available at their fingertips now is really incredible. Um, and as I think about the things that we talked about tonight, you know, the skill sets, the professional development, the, the networking, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm envious of students and fellows these days that have resources like like IPHO. And I know you said you're you're doing some work with IPHO on diversity and inclusion, and you're on the advisory board. Can you expand for our listeners a little bit more on some of the things that you're doing with IPHO that you're excited about? Yeah, I, I, you know, I totally agree. I, I'm so excited about the platform that IPHO offers. I think it, it, it's one of those platforms that. For someone like me, I would have taken full advantage of what, uh, as well, Sergio and Alex. You know, it, uh, I had nobody in my my you know family that was in the pharmaceutical industry, and and when we had someone come in and talk about the pharmaceutical industry, you know, uh, in Michigan, you, know, you had a, a, uh, actually some of the professors were trying to talk about it. It, it, it. They really did a terrible job. They had they really had no idea. I remember we had a course on how to put together an IND. It was the worst course I ever had. I didn't even understand what they were talking about. And then, <laughs> then I get into the industry. I'm like, this is what they were trying to teach us. They did a, a, a crappy job. But now you have a, a resource like IPHO where 
you know, you have so many resources at your fingertips. You, you, there's no excuse for you not understanding, you know, what a regulatory professional is, is does within the pharmaceutical industry. What's, you know, what's somebody in, in clinical, a medical leader, what their role, what their day looks like, you know, uh, what, what sort of skill sets are, you know, that are best suited to, um, for someone who wants to, to, to move forward that. Now, you might not be able to make up your mind right away because there's probably so many things coming at you, but you will be informed. And you will know about the opportunities that exist to get into the pharmaceutical industry. Again, I, I when I I happened upon the fellowship at at uh, mid year, I had no. I, first of all, I just went to mid year because they said it was a good idea to go, so I went. I was looking for a residency, and I scrolled through this two hundred page book, and it said Rutgers Fellowship. You can. Uh, Go to, you know, teach at Rutgers and you can work at a pharmaceutical. I said, oh, let me go look at this. And that's how I found it. You know, but but now you have so many more things at your fingertips and you can be so much more prepared when you go to mid-year. And, and I think we've seen that, the quality of candidates over the year. I look back now and I'm like, I don't know if I would have made it through that fellowship program. I know I wouldn't have. They're incredible. <laughs> I agree with you. I would have definitely not made it in, but... Uh, Thank goodness. Time is everything, right? There you go. So right. We're here now. Look, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We're getting close to, uh, you know, an hour in. I think we could probably go for three or four hours uh, having this conversation. But uh, I think uh, what we're going to need to do, the only solution here is to have you back on the show. Okay. Um, to talk maybe uh, six months or a year from now to see how things are going. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, sounds good. But in the meantime, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. You can also visit us on the IPHO website to provide feedback and learn how to get involved. Please do it because we need your help. Until next time, take care and stay safe.